Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, listeners. This is Matt Drinkon, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist podcast. Have you ever needed a good, tough love pep talk from yourself? Ever been down, frustrated, ready to give up, and you just wished you could push a button and inside there'd be some motivation level that would go up. There'd be this release of endorphin, serotonin in your bloodstream that would cause you to go from being down the dumps to positive, to energetic. Well, if you've ever been down, ever been really frustrated, really challenged and been feeling like you're stuck in a rut, then we have a great conversation for you today. My dear friend, Mr. Scott Groves is full of energy. He's full of passion for life. He knows how to solve problems on a very high level. Some of the things we're going to talk about today are, well, politics for one, common sense, overcoming challenges of the virtual world, of moving places, family challenges, business challenges. This conversation is very delightful. It goes all over the place. It's fast paced. We're going back and forth the entire time. It's a conversation that I will always remember. One great thing about Scott is he is very humble and very real. Something you may not know about Scott is that during the pandemic, he moved his family. They, they moved from California to Las Vegas. Something else about Scott, he's very successful in business in the mortgage industry. He's also a professional coach. He's also someone that has his own podcast, the On The Edge podcast. He's a family man. He's part of the Front Row Dads. He's someone that I really look up to and respect. I met him a few years ago and, and ever since we've been good friends. You know, one of the things that he does on a very high level is he knows how to take challenges and convert them into advantages. And this is one of the skills, it's very sought after skill out there, and it's why he's so successful in business. He's gonna take through some tough situations today. We're actually gonna do some real-time coaching today, back and forth, and we're gonna learn how to get through these challenging things strategically. This is a great conversation. Hope you enjoy it. My dear friend, Mr. Scott Groves. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. Welcome to the show, Mr. Scott Groves. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Uh, Hi, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. My privilege, my pleasure. I remember meeting you for the first time back in San Diego, if I recall. Was that the first Front Row Dads retreat we met? We were sitting there at the bar. after The thing was all said and done on day two. We were chatting and you were talking about that you're in the mortgage business. And I believe you were starting to venture into coaching and, and leading people in that in that way. So I remember that first conversation. I remember you always made an impression on me and I'd love to corner you and have a, a much deeper conversation. So I'm glad that we have that chance today. I'm sure it will go somewhere good. Because uh, I know you're an open book. That's one of the things I love about you. So let's let's first start off with right now. I am in a two-day, forty-eight-hour 
water-only fast. And that might mean that I have to go to the bathroom because I've been drinking a lot of water. So I wanted you to know that up front. We will probably pause this a couple of times. Perfect. Well, the good news is, is that one of my big challenges is the fact that I have a bladder like a four-year-old child. So I also go to the restroom often. I have no idea how people make it through a three-hour podcast without using the bathroom. And I have found that although that's kind of annoying, especially to people who I hang out with a lot, it is in some ways like a superhero power. Because when you can break away from what you're thinking about right now and get out of this bubble of like, I'm focused on this, I can't, I can only think of this. You take a walk, you go to the bathroom, you get another iced tea, and you're like, oh, yeah, this idea just popped in my head about how to solve that problem. So uh, people used to ask me like, hey, how do you how do you structure these super difficult loans? And like, you're kind of known as the guy that can like save the day on loans that other lenders decline. They're like, how do you do it? I'm like, oh, I take like 20 pee breaks a day. Awesome. And that just gives me that just gives me space to think about stuff and problem solve. And they're like, that's a weird superhero power, but okay, I'll go with it. So we're starting off with superhero powers. And to the astute listener, you're already hearing challenges being overcome. So if the challenge is I have a small bladder, then you know what? How might I use that to my advantage? And Scott just gave us a masterclass in the first minute on how to use what some would say is a problem or some would say is a disadvantage. He just used it to his advantage. So already teaching us from challenges. So thank you, Scott, for that. Let's go back in time, if we may, to challenges. So we're going to provide hope and inspiration to our listeners by showing them that someone very successful like you and success can be measured in many different ways. But we'll go back and we'll look at what might be some challenges that have come up in your world, Scott. So wherever you might want to start with that, childhood, adolescence, you can go to early adults, any timeline at all. What's the challenge that comes to your mind that we can dive into first? Yeah, I mean, I would say probably the first challenge is that Growing up, you know, we were kind of like middle, middle class, middle, lower class. Like I didn't have some origin story of living in the car, parents being broke. You know, there was always food on the table. I got to go to Boy Scouts and take some great trips. You know, there was enough money to send me to whatever the school trip of the day is. So I don't have this like this like immigrants hustle origin story of my family was homeless or immigrated from another country. But what I do look back on as a as a challenge is I was surrounded by super, super good people growing up and just not a whole lot of direction. Like my parents are wonderful people. They're super hardworking people, but like they didn't go to college. You know, they, they didn't know really what the career path was. Like both of my parents were kind of like blue collar workers. So they didn't really know like, okay, do this, invest here. They just assume like, oh, Scott's, Scott's smart. He'll go to college. And then when I signed up for the army, my senior year of high school, my dad didn't talk to me for months because my dad was like, what the heck, right? Like, like you, you, you're not going to go to college. You're going to join the army. Like you're too smart for that, blah, 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 blah. And it, it stemmed from this, again, being surrounded by really good people, not a whole lot of direction. The, the only thing that I can think of from my childhood that was like dialed in was I was going to be an Eagle Scout because in second grade, I became a Cub Scout. And they start talking very early on about like the upper echelon is to become an Eagle Scout. And then I had some some phenomenal scout leaders, men and women that kind of, you know, substituted as like aunts, uncles, uh, surrogate fathers and mothers, I had some great leaders and scouts. And like becoming an Eagle Scout is basically the only thing I feel accomplished as a young adult that was like, oh, yeah, I had a goal. I stuck with it and I did it. So kind of kind of funny. So I would say that's kind of a, a first challenge because later on in life, this continues to show up over and over again of like, ooh, like variety is the spice of life. 
I kind of value variety. Oh yeah, I made a goal. Maybe I'll get there, maybe I'll not. But there might be some other cool goal I want to think about. Oh, maybe I should join this other mastermind group instead. And like staying the path on like direction is is really hard for me. And I don't think it's medical. I don't think it's like ADHD. I don't think it's something I can solve with a prescription. I think it's just a character trait of who I am and how I grew up. Like having focused direction and getting to like the end of a mission is sometimes really hard for me. Okay, so that can be really hard for you, but also on the flip side of that, how is that something that is actually, you can use it to your advantage? How is that serving you in a positive way? Yeah, you know, I think it's focused me to put in the work, right? Because it's like, it's very weird, but if I'm not quite sure I'm gonna get to the end, I better work really hard in the beginning. So, you know, years ago, I wrote this book called Lead Generation, and it's, it's weird because in the job that I do in the mortgage industry, you can go super deep with five realtors and be their best friend and be their, you know, know their kid's name and just be, be like so dialed in that these realtors who give you 90% of your business will forgive you if you make a mistake or, you know, there's just, there's more rapport and relationship there because the end result is to have this really flourishing relationship. Well, the reality is like that doesn't fit my personality as well as, you know, I'll just call a hundred realtors a week, see where the chips fall and we'll do whatever deals come across my desk, right? Because my end result is like, I don't know, maybe we'll do 10 deals, maybe we'll do 30 deals. I don't know. So in some ways, there's this weird like career progression that's happening where it's like, oh, Scott's just known as the guy that will put in the work, put in the hustle, do the lead generation. And maybe in my coaching program for loan officers, I have to hire another guy named John Israel, who you and I both know, because John Israel is the relationship guy. He's the slow down, calm down, long-term goals, long-term relationships. So I have him coach that piece. And I coach what I know I'm good at, which is lead generate, do the action, do the activity, put in the hard work. So I'm good at that, but sometimes not so great at seeing the end result and or staying the path to get to that end result. So, you know, a blessing and a curse, like so much in life. Yeah, well, I'm hearing you figured out a couple strong tactics or strategies in business. You figured out the idea around scaling and doing what you're best at and then having someone else do what they're best at. So I'm already hearing that nugget of wisdom in there. And then if you're not sure about staying the course, you just go all at it hardcore, put the hustle and hard work in and make it successful now rather than having to do it over the long term. Why not just do it now? Why, why instead of going with five s- relationships, it takes this long to build, why don't I just go ahead and hustle and call 100? Right, right, uh, right. I'm hearing these, these great strengths of yours come out as we're speaking and learning about them. So I love to hear that. You So you go back to Eagle Scout. So you you did the Eagle Scout. You succeeded in that. You were clear there, and then you had the call with your dad. Hey, Dad, I'm going to the mar- I'm going to the army. Yeah, you know, and yeah. we didn't talk for a little bit of time. It brings me back to a time when I had a discussion with my father back in I want to say it was over over 20 years ago, and I got my first big bonus check in business. It was my first five figure bonus check. I was super jacked up. I, I I'm 20 young something. I called my dad to share this with him, and he says to me, Hey, congratulations! Don't do anything stupid tonight. I'm like, What do you mean? Well, don't drink and drive. And I'm like, well, dad, I don't, I don't drink. He's like, what do you mean? Well, I don't drink. I can tell you what I do. I don't think that you'd like it. And he's like, what do you mean? He just keeps asking me, what do you mean? What do you mean? I said, well, I don't drink. I actually, I smoke pot. I said that to him. This is, this is 20 plus years ago. And we didn't talk for a long time. 
you know, as a result of that, right? And it, it wasn't like um, you know, some big habit or anything. I did a little bit the last year of college and then for the first few years out of college, and it's not something I do right now. But I'd, I'd say that at that time, that was the thing. And that's what caused us not to speak for some time. So I relate to you and not speaking to your dad because of a big decision or something you shared with him. And I guess I just kind of wanted to get that out and talk about me for a minute because I've only talked about that a whole lot. You know, I'm pretty, I wore this hat on accident. As a matter of fact, the, you know, the, the Gaston flag, the libertarian symbol and the libertarian party is kind of a mess right now. So kind of hard to say you're a libertarian, but I am like my political leanings go to libertarian. Isn't it funny how much the stigma around marijuana has changed in our lifetime to where it's like, you know, I take these CBD marijuana gummies when I do jujitsu, because much like you, I also have a screwed up back. And if I don't, and maybe this is a placebo effect, but I don't think it is. If I don't take that CBD as like kind of a very low grade muscle relaxer, I find myself hurting myself in jujitsu at 43 years old, tweaking a knee, tweaking a shoulder, tweaking my back. And the other day I was, I was at dinner with like eight people after we went to jujitsu, I had my gym bag there. And just as if I was taking out a toothpick to pick my teeth, I took out this canister, took a couple CBD gummies. People asked what it was. I told them, and there was like no stigma. Whereas, you know, when we were 20, that was illegal. You know, you got, you had to drive to Echo Park in inner city, Los Angeles or Boyle Heights to get your weed because like it was illegal. And it's, it's crazy to me how much that stigma has changed. And I still don't want young people using marijuana. So it's really, I'm stuck in this weird spot intellectually, societally, politically. It's very, it's very strange. Yeah. There's so many things like that nowadays that are, that are different, that are more, it's easier to speak about them. We don't have to keep it hushed behind closed doors. And for some of those things, it's very good. Some, it may not be good, but I, I appreciate that we can talk about this amongst any many other topics more openly now like you talk about our libertarian i i don't know all the political philosophies of every party but i would say that one thing that i've known you for is that you speak your mind from what i can tell hope i don't get in trouble for this but what i can tell you speak a pretty common sense and it makes sense <laughs> the things you talk about all logically make sense and that's one of the reasons i appreciate them and they make sense to me right so i wonder Where is the line between there's a stigma, I can't talk about this versus I can talk about this out loud nowadays? Because it's certainly shifted, but there's some things nowadays that when you talk about them, it's so divisive that you cannot. It's, It's a weird shift that's happened. Some things, yes, some things, no. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know where I'm going with that, Scott, but that's that came to mind. When we talk about challenges and overcoming adversity, I think it has become a a real problem with business of, and this is probably just another byproduct of social media that we didn't see coming, of the merging of personal and business relationships. And what I mean by that is 15, 20 years ago, even 12 years ago, 12 years ago, yeah, let's use that example. 12 years ago, when I started working in a prudential real estate office, and I was just the lender, you know, from, I was dying on the vine to do business like everybody else. From 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., I was at that office every day and I was lender Scott, you know? And the people that I built relationships with in that office, even if they're, you know, raving progressives to the left and think that I'm a moron, or they're hardcore Christian conservatives to the right and they think I'm a moron, it was like business Scott. And then I went home and maybe I had a drink with my buddy Matt and we talked about the political leanings of the day and our opinions and whatnot. But now that social media has, has completely eliminated those boundaries. I, I believe in my heart of hearts 
that some of the referral sources I have now would not be a referral source if I met them today. Because just absolutely just yeah. one example, and I'm pretty, pretty open. I have a podcast called On the Edge Podcast where we talk about political stuff. You know, I'm pretty open about my conflicted feelings on abortion, for example. I've put large posts on Facebook and or talking about on my podcast, like, hey, here's where I'm kind of pro-life. Here's where I'm kind of pro-choice, which is weird because then I just piss off everybody. But, you know, having those conversations in the public sphere, which that's my decision, so I have to live with the ramifications. It is kind of weird that we've now entered this zone where it's like, I know realtors who won't work with me professionally, even though they they know I do a good job in the loan world because of this stigma associated with certain personal beliefs or political beliefs. And it's going to be a brave new world where I'm, I'm super scared that at some point, 10 years in the future, it will be like, we've got one brand of shoes for conservatives and one brand of shoes for progressives and one brand of shoes for libertarians. And it's like everything you have on and you wear and the people you work with will be like a peacocking device or a signaling device for what you believe politically, because the ramifications of like social media going 90% political, because that's the thing that gets engagement. You know, I think it's, I think it's cool in some ways that we can speak that openly about this stuff. And in some ways, I think it's just like a massive negative to society where it's like, dude, I don't want to decide whether or not to be on Matt's podcast based on what he thinks about, you know, the marijuana issue or the abortion issue. I think Matt's an awesome guy. There's probably a lot of things we're alike. And there's probably things we're, a lot of things we're divided on. And that's okay. But it's like, I think we're going in a really weird direction. Well, I think that part of the challenge is, you know, where is the narrative being led from? It might be led from the majority of times those that give the airtime or those that might be on one extreme side of the view or the other. And the people that might have the more middle centrist view, they may not be willing to speak up in because the people that are the loudest are the people that are the most polarized in many cases. Like people like me, for example, I would say that I'm pretty middle on most of this stuff. I just, I'll take a line from 10 Cup here. When Kevin Costner said, as long as you're not hurting old people, animals, or kids, I'm okay with you. Right. You know, when Roy McAvoy said that in 10 Cup, I was like, yeah, I love that philosophy. I've, I've lived that way for the last 30 years. And I'd say that if, if you know, you're not hurting people, whether they're old, young, here, there, doesn't matter where age or ethnicity or background, just be kind to people and do what's best for people. And that can be interpreted many ways. But overall, I am for humanity. And if my view would be constructed in a way that can, as you say, polarize people away from me, and I don't even intend for it to, that I'm not really going to speak up that much on Facebook or Instagram or whatnot. I just want to see family pictures and see the positive things as the eternal optimist. But I, I'm aware that there is a, a large media place that is driven by clicks, driven by, let's get their attention, and you're going to get attention with fear and negativity. So let's put that out there. Let's put divisiveness out there. So that's the challenge that we're talking about right now. How might we overcome that challenge? And Matt, can I tell you, and you know, this is going to just lead to fluffing up your ego. I love the fact that you're doing a podcast on optimism because you know that conversation at the bar in San Diego that you're mentioning I don't remember that as well as the breakfast you and I had the morning after the event was over. And we were walking around San Diego at seven o'clock in the morning on like a Friday, trying to find a diner that was open. We sat down, we had breakfast and we were kind of just getting to know each other. And you said something to the effect of like, 
yeah, you know, I broke my back and was basically paralyzed. And let me tell you why that was a good thing. And all the things that came out of that and the silver line, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can we just go back to you almost being in a wheelchair and being paraplegic for the rest of your life? And you're like, well, yeah, this thing happened and blah, 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 blah. And like, you know, I got over it. Let me tell you about the, let me tell you about the benefits of physical therapy. And I was like, how could this guy be so positive about the fact that he was like almost a paraplegic? And that's something that stood out in my mind is like, when you, when you sent me the request to be on this podcast, I was like, oh yeah, that's so authentically Matt of like, you know, let's just talk about the good stuff. Like that's, there's plenty of bad stuff out there, but let's talk about the things that are going well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And also let's kind of reframe everything that, yeah, that, that place where I got in the accident and the accident I've chronicled before, I'll just a quick recap is it going down a zip line and it broke. And I fell down under the ground and, you know, fast forward about nine months later, I literally was in a wheelchair leading up to the time I actually had a, had to have a spinal surgery. And the whole time I'm in excruciating pain for those last three months, especially it was, I got to practice what I preach. I've been talking a good game for a long time about positivity and attitude and I coach to this stuff. So now it's time to uh, put up or shut up and, you know, how might we use this great challenge or adversity to our advantage. You know, and I want to use my advantage to help the world. I want to use it to advantage to show people that whatever hard stuff you're going through right now, that is something that you can recover from. That is something that you will be able to tell a great story and inspire someone else sometime. So when we were having that breakfast, I remember you, me, and if I'm, if we actually eaten a couple, couple times for breakfast, if it was you, me, and Matt that were having that discussion yeah. together that one morning, if that's, yeah, that's the one, then yeah, I remember that clearly. And that was a, that was a great discussion, but that, that's, that's the God's honest truth of it is how might we take this challenge and use it to our advantage? How might we take this platform right now, whether it's, you know, the negativity that's, that's on the news where you're getting a, a 10 to one negative to positive ratio and it's all murder, death, kill. That, I, if I were better, I'd do a rap song right now, freestyle, right. but I'm not right, yet. Right. But everything is murder, death, kill. It's, you know, COVID this, it's dying, it's quarantine, it's, it's all this negativity. And they might squeeze one little positive thing in there. I want to take that and use that to our advantage. How might we use that to actually turn the tables and, you know, highlight the positive or highlight that there is something really great that's happening right now or this is not happening to us. This is happening for us so that we can open up a new era for the United States of America or for the world, for humanity. I want to I flip that narrative. That's what we're all about is, is turning that, that challenge into hope or inspiration. So I love it. thank you for, for, for bringing that to us because that's where we're going. Well, I, I, there's I love no it. other way. That is where we have to go. That is our imperative as humans that if we want to survive and thrive, then we must figure out a way. It was a requirement for us to figure out a way to do that. And if we don't, then you know, we are going to live in that book, 1984, before you know, it, we are going to live in this world order where it's all locked down and controlled by just a couple of scary, scary people like Loki. So that, that might be, we're not going there though. People like you and I are going to speak the truth and what we consider to be the truth and keep it real and transparent. I feel that we have to step forward and lead by example. And if we get a little dirty doing it, then we need to. I, I could not agree with you more. And, you know, we're, we're filming this June of 2022 for, you know, if this gets released later for reference of somebody watching the replay, when you and I become a big deal. And for those of you that aren't intimately aware about what's going on in June of 2022, cryptocurrency down 70%. 
stock market down 30% year to date, inflation through the roof, approaching double digits, you know, Russia attacking Ukraine, like, like the, the legitimate cloud of maybe a world war in Europe kind of looming over our head. And you know what? Like at the end of the day, I can't control any of that. What can I control? I can control picking up the phone, making my 10 calls a day to realtors, which I'll be honest, haven't done that in two weeks because I've been kind of in a negative headspace. So like this podcast is motivating me to get back to that. You know, I can make 10 calls a day. I can tighten my belt a little bit and make sure my wife and I aren't spending as much money as we have the last 10 years when things have been good and be like, oh, you know what? Right now is an opportunity to buy stocks or crypto or maybe in the near future property at a little bit of a discount to where it was trading in 2020 or 2021. I don't think the whole economy is going to crash. I don't think we're going to see a 2007, 2008 situation where you can get a house for 50% of what it's worth today. But hey, if you can get stuff on sale at 10, 20, 30%, that's still a great sale, right? And so getting in, in tune with shutting out the noise, realizing that there are some macroeconomic and some macro political stuff going on that I feel the need to be aware of to protect my family and take care of like our assets and whatnot. There, I'm not, I don't want to be like blissful ignorance. And if I can't control it, what can I really control to make the life of me, my wife, my kids, and my immediate circle better? Like, let's focus on that, right? Because I'm not volunteering to go fight for the Ukrainian army. And I don't, I don't think I have the backbone to Putin to tell him what an asshole he's being. Excuse my language. You know, what, 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 can, what can I do? I can take care of my family. I can take care of our business. I can take care of the people that are closest to us. And that's, that's kind of what it's about, right? Control what we can control, attitude and effort. You know, we hear that over and over again in, in the coaching profession, attitude and effort. You've, you've just demonstrated you're going to control your effort by making your 10 calls. You're recommending that. You're going to control your effort by tightening your belt on some of the spending, possibly. As far as attitude, you know, control that. How do we control our own attitude? If, if, are there any things that you do or strategies you have for us on how you might be controlling your own attitude or being mindful of? how Scott shows up every day, Scott? Yeah. You know, as I've gotten older, I've, I've found myself being more accepting of myself and being more attuned to when I need to take a break. So, so just the other day, heated conversation, heated transaction, just like, it doesn't even matter who was right or who was wrong. Although I was clearly right. And, and I just, I had to tell, I had to tell the realtor, I'm like, Hey man, Let's just take a break and reconvene because I feel like we're getting close to saying something that one of us is going to regret about the challenges of the transaction. And he was like, wow, I can't believe you're cutting off the conversation. I'm like, yeah, but I, just, I, I know where this is going. Like, let's just, let's just take a pause and I'm sure everything will be okay. Sure enough, we closed that deal yesterday, right? Same with my wife. One of the, the guiding principles or one of the foundational conversations we had when we were getting married, like more important than a prenup is I told her, I said, Hey, when we got married seven years ago, when I get angry or when I feel that fight or flight, you know, for some people it's tightening the chest, for some people it's grinding their jaw, for some people it's their, their, their booty hole tightens up and you get that frustration. I'm like, when I feel that I need to just go for a walk and get an iced tea. If it's really bad, I probably need an hour away from everything to smoke a cigar and relax. Because when I get in that tense fight or flight mode, you know, like if you've ever, if you've ever felt that anger of wanting to like slap somebody or get in a bar fight or hit your kid, anytime you're like, oh, I'm, I'm getting to a point where I'm going to see red and can't control myself. 
And there's varying levels of that, obviously. Anytime I get to that point where I'm like, I feel for me, it's a, a, con, a constricting of the pectoral muscles. I'm like, this is not going well. Even when I replicate it accidentally, I can feel my blood pressure start to go up. I told her, I'm like, when that happens, I just need to step away from the situation. And I need you to understand that I'm not abandoning you. I'm not walking out on you. I'm not, I'm not, you know, trying to disrespect you or the kids or whoever. I just know myself like nothing positive is going to come out of my mouth after that moment in time. So please accept me for who I am. And like, I know you come from this very like traditional Hispanic family that likes to talk to talk, talk, talk it out. When I let you know that I need a break and I just need to walk away for an hour, I really need, or, or, or a minute or 30 seconds, doesn't matter how long the time is. I really need to walk away. So, so knowing that about myself and then finding a way to deal with that. I have the same conversation with, with my team members, you know, Hey, sometimes when something's really getting to me, I just need to walk to Starbucks and get an iced tea. And by the time I get back, I'll be in an emotional state where I can help solve the problem. And we can go into like growth mode instead of like going below the line and going into anger mode. And so that, that's something that's really helped me as being aware. And I think so much of what we're taught now is like, Confront the issue head on, solve the problem, have the five second talking point on social media or the, or the media. And it's like, no, no, sometimes we just need to let a problem breathe, you know, like, like a good glass of wine it just need, just needs to aerate a little bit, come back to it 10, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour later. And like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And, and I think that's something that I've found about myself. And I found that more adults need to do is just take that strategic pause. And if you can do it in the moment, if you, we have a couple of friends who have probably uh, done a lot of self-mastery work where they can pause in the moment and then immediately come back to the conversation. I can't do that. I have to remove myself from the conversation to take that pause. And then I can come back in solutions mode and I can come back in like positivity and be like, that was silly. Why were we even worked up about that? Hey, let, let's, let's move forward together. And then they're like, wait, how did you do a 180 in, in 18 seconds or in eight minutes that it took you to get iced tea? I'm like, I don't know. That's just how my brain works. And I've got to be self-aware about that. Uh, so pause. Thank you. Brilliant there. A masterclass on the immediate challenge in the moment. You're feeling an emotion. It could be anger, frustration, whatever the, uh, the base emotion is, you're feeling it. And you're feeling that you might start to see red. You know where it's headed. And the advice you're offering to yourself, to our listeners, might be pause. And for a very few number of us who may have the high level of self-awareness and mastery to be able to pause, breathe, refocus in the moment, then you know, feel free to re-engage. But for you and for me, what I might do is might pause, step up, take a, a walk around the island in the house. And then come back to the dinner table if I'm frustrated or pause, be able to you know, set the expectation with said client, vendor, stakeholder, wife, children, whoever the person or people might be, set that expectation up front in advance that this is, if this were to happen, then this is how I might respond. It means this, it doesn't mean that. I love the way you just laid that out for us. I think if many people would take that perspective of, and the thing I really feel that I want to honor is you set the expectation of here's when I get angry or when I get into this place, this is what I'm going to do. And I want you to know it's not against you. It's it's who I need to do to be able to 
get back in the right mind space. So I love the way you set the expectation there. And I, I hope that those listening can take that nugget of wisdom on being able to set the expectation. And one way, if you think about that, friends, it might be around the idea of how do you create a playbook that when these certain triggers happen, you know what to do and, and practice it so that you're not stuck all of a sudden saying something that you are going to regret as many of us have. All right. So I want to honor you for sharing that challenge with us because I'm looking on every, every conversation. I'm always looking for what's the challenge that we can turn into an advantage and, and you know, use it to serve the world. And you just offered a, a real great nugget of wisdom there, Scott. Today's sponsor for the Eternal Optimist podcast is the SIU pill. You know, have you ever felt like just stopping? I'm going to get back to it and do this later. It's an important task. I'll do it later. Well, guess what? We have something for you. It's called an SIU pill, aka suck it up pill. I heard this one time ago from the David Goggins book, Can't Hurt Me. And ever since that, the suck it up pill has been something that I've been taking regularly. And guess what? Whenever you feel down and challenged and you take an SIU pill, you will almost instantaneously be transformed into someone who sucks it up and gets things done. So look for the suck it up pill, the SIU pill in stores near you. This was just a joke, but really suck it up, bull. Today's sponsor for the Eternal Optimist Podcast. I also want to show this for whenever this might be released on my YouTube channel, because we haven't figured that out yet. We're just putting the audio out now. But I keep up here, a high-level client sh shared this idea with me, and I've got this, this index card here. I've kept it over a year on my desk. It says, pause, breathe, what's important now? And that's how this high-level leader moves between calls, events, activities, is pause, breathe, what's important now. And I think you just gave us your version of that, is to be able to pause, breathe, refocus, and bring it back to the conversation. So thank you. I love that. I, I love the I love the strategic pause, the breath. You know, there, there's a book in a group that you and I are in that has been talked about a lot, Parenting the Danish Way, or the Danish Way of Parenting or something. Great book. And the version of doing this with our kids, right? Because if I'm really angry, I can't just like tell my five-year-old, hey, pause right here while I take a walk around the block. It's like, well, his mom's not home. Can't leave the five-year-old by himself. And the book talked about, imagine if you're a six-foot male, and I know you're closer to like seven feet or something, Matt. Imagine you're a six-foot male and an 18-foot male is like, you know, looking down on you and disciplining you. They're like, that's what your kids see. You're two or three times taller and about five times bigger than your kid. So any disciplinary measure that happens from afar, just imagine if your your boss was reprimanding you and he was, you know, 17 feet, 550 pounds big. That's what children see. And so in this book, it's like, hey, when you need to discipline or you're frustrated or your kids are going crazy, pause, take that breath and get down on one knee. So you're talking to them eye to eye or face to face. And just that physical change of where my body is, because anybody who has kids knows that they can trigger us like no other human being can. Just that pause of taking a deep breath and physically getting down on a knee and then looking at my son or my daughter like eye to eye, 99.9% .9 of the time, that's enough to de-escalate the conflict or the frustration. And it blows my mind that it works. It blows my mind that it works. 
but it does. Sure enough, just like pausing, breathing on your way down, letting your shoulders relax, get down on your knee and be like, all right, buddy, we, we need to talk about how that was inappropriate, you know, or we need to talk about why you don't get to talk to your mom that way or whatever the disciplinary issue is. It's a world of difference versus in the heat of the moment when we're trying to get out to the car and, you know, somebody just yells at the kids to do something they immediately start crying. And then I'm like, oh, I failed as a father there, right? So it's like just that little strategic pause, breathe, get down on one knee, talk to them. Man, what, that, that's been a game changer for me as a parent. I'm taking notes here on this one because I'm now realizing this. I've been working on the, the pause and the breathing part and the de-escalation. I've not gotten down on one knee to, to look them in the eye like that yet. So that's very helpful. I appreciate it. I wonder if there is a, this is parenting the Danish way. I've, I've seen that book go around the front row dad circle. I wonder about, is there not parenting the Danish way? Is there being an employee the Danish way or leading yeah. the Danish way? Because what I'm, what I'm feeling right now is what if there is someone out there listening who might be an employee who has a boss who is very overbearing, domineering, forceful, who might parent or, or lead them the way that we talk about maybe towering over our, our, a child, I wonder if there is a, a kind of way that we can coach or offer some feedback to someone who has uh, a really tough boss. You know, so maybe I'm kind of taking this into a place where the challenge is I'm an employee and I've got a tough boss who's mean, maybe vindictive, and I'm not going to leave my job at this moment. So how might I navigate that challenge if I've got someone that's just a challenging leader or boss who's just tough to be around? Where might you go with that one, Scott? Man, I, I, it's so funny you asked this question because I've been doing a lot of thinking on this due to the fact that we've got some restructuring to do of the team that I run and then also some challenges I'm having with my leadership chain of command. And um, this is, this is this, you're, nail, you're nailing like right where my thought process is and what's in focus for me right now, Matt. And, I, and I'm going to give an analogy, but I promise this turns back to leadership. And I'll start by saying, I don't think most leaders are or most employees, I don't think most humans are vindictive or, or mean or destructive or on purpose, right? That, that, that might be exactly how it comes across, but I don't think they're doing it on purpose. And so I'm going to give this analogy. I just recently got into playing chess and I play chess on my phone and I play chess with a couple of people via chess.com or whatever the chess app. And what's really weird is like, you know, for context, a beginner is like rated a 600 Somebody who's pretty good is like 13 to 1500. You start getting to 2000 and you're like, you're great. And then like the grandmasters are like 2200 above. But it's really weird because in the beginning of chess, it scales really quickly with a couple of lessons and a couple of YouTube videos. You can get like from 600 to 1000 really quickly. But some people will spend years going from like 2100 to 2150. So it gets exponentially harder to grow as you go up. All right. So here's the interesting thing. On chess, if I play a game with a, a friend of mine named Aram, where each of us have a full day to make a move. So I make a move on the, on the app. He has a full day to go in, think about it, make a move. I have yet to beat him because he's much better than me. If we play what's considered a blitz game, five minutes or shorter, I, I, I've beat him more than 50% of the time. And not surprisingly, on my longer, like one day, you have a lot of time to think about it. I'm rated like a 850 on chess.com. My blitz rating, meaning a game of like less than 10 minutes, or that's a short game. I think less than five minutes is considered blitz. Excuse me for all the chess nerds out there. I'm rated like a 1270. 
I'm like 400 points better at a game where you have to make quick decisions versus a game where it's like, I have a day to think about it. So let's go back to your leadership question with this context. Imagine I'm a leader who's really, really good at making fast decisions, like in the moment, let's go, let's pivot, let's do this, let's make some lead generation calls. But my employees are much better at the long game where they like to make one move a day. They're they're probably exponentially better than me at the long game, just making one strategic move a day and kind of moving the pieces around the board and looking for a great opportunity to improve. And I'm just like, go, 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 make quick decisions. Like, I'm going to drive them nuts and I'm going to burn them out. And then conversely, I have a boss who likes to make those long one-day decisions And as myself, who's like, go, 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 make the rapid decisions, finish the game quickly. In my mind, what I the story I start to tell myself about my boss is, oh, he doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about my career progression. He's not getting back to me quickly. He's not interested in my problems. And then meanwhile, I'm go, 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 go. Maybe my employers are thinking, man, Scott doesn't care about me. He's going a million miles a minute. He doesn't want to train me on what needs to be done. So it's like, depending on whether you're a fast thinker or a slow thinker, think how much that screws up the relationship between employee, employer, or manager and managee, or whatever the the power dynamic might be at work. So I've been trying to like give people a lot more grace and also think to myself on how I work on this with my team of like, am I a fast thinker or am I a slow thinker? Am I better at blitz chess or is somebody else out there better at the long game, right? And just being like, all right, Bill, his name's not really Bill, but I'll just use Bill. Bill, I had what I thought was a really important strategic conversation with Bill. Just accept, be at peace with the fact that it's going to take him five days to get back to you where I want to answer in three minutes. So I've got to be at peace with that with my leader. And then with my team, I've got to remind myself, okay, if I make too many decisions per day and too many changes per day and make too many demands per day, I'm probably burning them out. Because like my brain can work that way. Maybe their brain works in a totally different, more beautiful way. And so it's funny that you mentioned this challenge of like leadership and and how people are thinking and how people are being led. Because I think that dilemma explains probably a lot of disconnects in the business world. Mm, Man, chock full of of good wisdom and and thoughts to, to work on and to play with as we develop ourselves as leaders, as we offer feedback to others who are working on their journey. Let's unpack a couple of them. One, you talked about the the timeline of things. And some people are seeing it on a very short timeline, think now, act now, quick to act. There are others who may take a little bit more deliberate approach or just their brain processes things at a different speed. And it may be that disconnect between, you know, fast acting, tough acting, ten acting versus, you know, longer term, you know, go get the medical care. <laughs> you know, there's a difference there. Being able to be aware of, notice that difference and appreciate that there's an advantage in thinking fast and taking action. There might be an advantage in being a little bit more deliberate. How might we take the best of thinking, acting fast and merge it with the best of taking your time, being more deliberate and see what the best might come out when we would do it together? You know, that might be the thought that I take going into it when it comes to being able, and let me, let me take this from what I learned from a friend of ours, John Roman on the podcast recently, he talked about the difference between practice speed and game speed. And he learned that from another friend of ours, Tim. So I'm, I'm thinking about the idea of practicing with, let's just say, my boss, my employee, my friend, practicing, you know, how might we learn to communicate together? 
you know, you want me to do it this way and I'm used to doing it this way. Well, let's, let's just pause for a moment. Let's talk, let's practice, you know, how we're going to operate at our best. A, a good example might be this. I'm with the CEO of the company I work with, ProAdvisor Coach, and with my business partner, Rich. And I remember a few years ago, we got into a very spirited discussion about something. And he said, time out, Matt. Do I have your permission to, to coach you and offer you some real-time feedback? And I said, yeah, let's do it. And we went into practice mode at that moment, we called it. We went into practice mode. And we talked about, Matt, when you say this to me, here is what I hear. And this is how it makes me feel. And I had no idea this is the way he was taking what I was offering him. You know, so I learned because we paused and did the, when you say this, this is what I hear. This is what I feel. You know, and then he spit it back to me. And, and I said, well, this is what I was intending for you to hear. And I did not intend for you to feel that. I wanted you to hear this because this is how I want to be communicated with is like this. You know, by taking that time to go and practice with each other, how we best communicate and hear things from each other. That really took our relationship to a whole new level. You know, and the business has grown substantially since that discussion because we were both going at it from our own lenses. You know, he is practical, get in there just like you. He's someone that's fast acting, can pivot very quickly and, and go straight at it and get the results. And I'm more of a strategist who's going to take some time and think through it, who wants to play out several scenarios in my mind first. And now, because I've been around him, I'm actually faster to act and take action. And he's actually more of a strategist. So the best of both of us have rubbed off on each other. And as a result, you know, the company is stronger. We're better coaches, we're better humans, husbands, parents, as a result of that one interaction when we took time to practice. Anyways, I may have gone off the cliff there. That may have been a long-winded answer. I don't even no, know where we started, but I love it, it was overall I love starting it. about leadership. Yeah. You know, because I'll get people that call me all the time and they're like, Hey Scott, I'm thinking about changing companies. What have you heard about mortgage company ABC in Florida? I'm like, I don't know. I live in, I live in LA and Nevada. Like I don't know what's going on in the Florida market. And even if we worked for the same company, the experience of the employee might be wildly different in Florida versus Los Angeles because you have different leadership. Right. And so I know people that have looked for a job and they'll ask the most minute questions about benefits and, and, you know, where, where, where do we put the pens in the copy machine room? Or I'm like, this is crazy. Ask important questions of your potential leader. Like, Hey, are you a, you know, ready, fire, aim, execute, execute, execute type of person? Or are you a ready, aim, 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 Okay, fine. You know, because the answer to that question, there's no wrong answer. It's just you kind of have to know who you're dealing with on your side of the leadership. And if you don't, if you don't think through these questions or ask these questions up front, you're either going to work for the wrong leader, or everybody can work for a different type of leader or have employees that are a different type of people. Actually, I think it's a, a benefit when you have that. But you just got to know where people are coming from so that you, you don't have those moments or you have fewer of those moments where you guys are talking past each other and you and your partner, you're saying one thing, he's taking it another way. It's like, dude, I, I, I didn't even know I was offending you. <laughs> you know, I've had these conversations before apologizing to people like, I didn't even know I was offending you. So let's talk about how we can have that happen again. And I think, I think it's a beautiful thing when people can get to a level of self-awareness and confidence that they can have these questions, they can make these these suggestions, they can, you know, try to build these relationships. Because it's not easy. It's not easy to slow down your boss and be like, hey, what kind of thinker are you? 
Like that just doesn't come naturally to most people, but the relationships that work, whew, man, they, they stem from being able to have these conversations. You're right. And I love the last thing you said. It's not easy. It can be very difficult to have a conversation with the boss and ask him what kind of thinker you are. And this is a frequent conversation that I have with a number of people. It might be around the idea of how might you approach that particular situation if you want to bring up something with a boss, with a big client, with a spouse, and I might advise them or or offer this invitation to say something like this. Scott, I would love to walk you through a scenario about how I think about this particular situation. And I'd love to get your feedback and maybe even you coach me on, if you were in my shoes, how you might think about it. You know, because I'd love to learn from your perspective how you think about things. You know, and that one little opportunity there, you know, to offer, this is how I think about it. What do you think about it? If you were in my shoes, knowing what you know, how might you respond to that? That allows people, empowers people to be the expert or, or be the person who has a valuable opinion. It empowers them to first hear you being transparent, real. This is how you think about things. And it also empowers them to be able to offer you some feedback. So I love that framework when the conversation is, maybe I don't understand where you're coming from. This might be an angle for someone to approach that that is not what I would say inflammatory. You know, it's it's one that it's it's coming in with a very vulnerable, transparent approach. Anyways, that's the first thing that came to mind when you when you mentioned that last part. Yeah. What what are my favorite things? I love that like asking for the coaching. And one of the ways that I found to diffuse this, especially when something's going wrong, you know, an email is sent, an email bounces back, an email bounces back, an email bounces back. We're not solving the problem. You can feel frustration or passive ag- aggressiveness rising. You know, th- this happens in my in- industry when we're like trying to lock a rate or change a loan program or something. It's just like, you can feel the tension building. I'll just pick up the phone and be like, Hey Matt, I'm going to be honest, man. I'm lost here. I've, I've, I've completely lost track of kind of where we're at and shame on me. Can, can you let me know where we're at or where you think we're at so that we can solve the problem? Because I personally am lost. And it's, it's my fault that I'm lost. And when you tell somebody you're lost, it's a human desire to want to help them and give direction. Like that's like a, that's like a human imperative, right? I've, I've never had somebody just like look at me and be like, Hey man, I'm kind of lost. You know where Starbucks is? And I'm like, no, I hate you. You're a stranger. I'm not going to talk to you. Like we, we have a, we have a vested interest in human beings of helping other human beings not be lost and be found. So I found that language of like, hey man, I'm I'm just lost. Can we get on the same page here? It really diffuses the situation because you're just taking responsibility for like, I screwed up. I'm lost. What? What? Help me! <laughs> and people usually want to help us. I love the approach there. Yeah, I I find it very difficult to think. Is there a time when someone's ever asked me for directions where I've said, no, I hate you. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not getting directions. Yeah, but when people ask for help or ask for feedback, generally as humans, it's it's natural instinct to want to help or to want to answer and respond with and using our knowledge base. So I totally agree. I want to go back to one last thing you said and the point we made some some time ago. You talked about the idea of kind of seeking the frame of, and seeing things from the frame of others. 
because we don't know what they're going through. We don't know what they brought to the table today. We don't know what's happened in their world up until four o'clock. It could have been the greatest day of their life or the worst day of their life. We don't know. So being able to see things from the frame of others, an important coaching point or an important point for anyone listening who's thinking about a frustration they have in a relationship or someone who continuously just shows up with an attitude, right? try to see things from their perspective. I think this has been one of the biggest things for me to open up and be more empathetic over the past number of years is seeking first to understand, then be understood. I mean, I'm a big Covey fan, so I'm going to quote Covey all the time. I'm grabbing the book for reference. We're on the same page here, by the way. But yeah, I agree with everything you said. And uh, I can boil everything important down to like a movie scene because I'm like a big movie nerd. Have you seen the movie White Men Can't Jump? Of course, of course. Okay, challenge me. Let's go. So, so there's a scene where Rosie Perez and Woody Harrelson are laying in bed, and she's like, "I'm thirsty," and he's like, he gets up and gets her a cup of water, and, and she's like, "Why do you men always think you have to fix things? I, I didn't want you to get a cup of water." And he's like, "What?" He's like, "You said you were thirsty. I got you a cup of water." She's like, "No, I wanted you to empathize with me about what it's like to be thirsty and blah blah, and just not trying to be a man and solve all my problems and." That, that scene resonates with me so well because whether it's a biological thing as a man or whether it's the career you and I have, have chosen as a coach or whether it's like our inquisitive nature, I think a lot of people, I can speak for myself and maybe I'm speaking for you. A lot of times when somebody says things, I'm listening, just waiting for my chance to respond and go into problem solver mode where I'm like, okay, yeah, and here's what you should do and here's the book and here's that and blah, 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 blah. And what I'm trying, and it's so hard for me, what I'm trying to get myself to do is ask the question like, oh, are, are you looking for feedback here? Like, like you want some coaching or some information? Or did you kind of just want to get that off your chest? And it's like, then if they say, no, I'm really looking for some, really looking for a recommendation. All right, cool. Then gives me the permission to go into coaching mode. But so many times, like, especially with my wife for my kids, you know, my, my six-year-old, and it's no different than the 60-year-old I know. We'll just be like, and I'm like, it's okay, buddy. Did you, did you just need to like scream or cry and vent? And they're like, yeah, dad, I don't even know what's wrong. I just, I, I, I was just sad. I'm like, okay, cool. Now, now we, now we can just move on. Right. And it's like, we, it's the same thing with adults. I think so often with adults, we need to ask like, Oh, what's the feedback you're looking for here? Are you looking for some coaching? Do you just need to vent? Do you want, you know, that just doesn't come naturally to me. It's so hard to do that, but I think we have to. So that that was my that was my first thought as you're saying that. Look to understand. I need to understand if they even want me to open my mouth. <laughs> Scott, the most amazing thing just happened. I believe that my internet crashed as we were recording this, and I didn't hear you for about twenty seconds. That's so you may have just said something incredibly insightful, uh, or we may have just been blank. But either way. I heard what you just said. Thank you. Yeah, I'm on a, I was on a profoundly good rant. And don't worry, this FM studio will pick up the recording on my side and be fine. You'll get a lesson out of your own podcast when you go back and listen to it. It's amazing. Absolutely. Uh, and and so this, this brings another challenge, a technological challenge. It reminds me of about a year and a half ago, I was given a keynote for a, a sales organization to start the year. This is 2021. This is um, a fairly pricey engagement. So I'm very excited about it. And... They're all overseas, and my internet goes down about 54 seconds into the keynote address where I'm addressing 175 people of a significant company, 
and it's down for a while. Now, back then, I did not have what I'm having right now, the microphone and talking through the internet. I would talk through my AirPods and be dialed in while my computer is dialed in. So they could hear me, but they couldn't see me. And the challenge in the moment is how do you respond as a speaker or as a performer or as an entertainer, as a coach, as whoever, whatever, you're on live in front of people and everything goes awry. You know, how might you respond? And I think I come back to the same place of pause, breathe, what's important right now, and just realize that in, in any given moment, if technology craps out, it's going to be okay. You know, if I have a, a moment as a parent where I lose my temper, man, it's actually going to be okay. Don't be so critical of yourself. If I lose a deal here or there, or if something happens over here and I make a wrong call and the directions on my GPS say go that way and I go this way and my wife and I get into a little dispute over that, it's going to be okay. You know, my answer to mostly anything is it's actually going to be okay we're still alive. We're still right here. Fortunately, where I'm sitting, I'm in the United States. I feel pretty great about that all the time, right? So ultimately, it's going to be okay. So all of that was just to cover that my internet went down for a minute and uh, we're back and it's okay. So I want to get some coaching from you, Matt, on it's okay. And I want to get some coaching because the pendulum for me and in my career has swung to the two extremes of the solution on this problem. So let's say, for example, hypothetically, although this is a, a, a an absolutely true statement, let's say this morning, I got an email from a client who said, hey, man, I know you asked for a review, but the reality is if I was giving your team a review, it would probably be one star because I didn't feel like the communication was, was good and there were all kinds of problems, okay? So I have swung between the two extremes of, hey, it's going to be okay, Oh, see, there we go. We have technical difficulties on our side too, where I forgot to turn off my phone and I had an alarm go off. The the pendulum has swung too far to each side for me previously where I'm just like, screw it. I know that client was wrong. I know basically within the transaction, what she was asking me to do was to do the job of her realtor, her financial planner, her estate planner. And I'm just going to completely forget about it because I know she was wrong and I was right. And I don't care how she feels. I've, I've swung that way. I've swung all the way to the other side of the pendulum of like, everybody cancel everything they're doing. We're having a two hour meeting on our systems and procedures. We're, we're revamping our checklist. I'm going to lay into the team about how we could have done better on this deal, blah, 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 blah. And I haven't found a happy medium where transaction goes sideways. Realtors frustrated. Maybe communication could have been better. We get negative feedback from the realtor or the client post closing. Like, What's the happy medium to improve systems, improve stuff, but also understand like I have a complicated job where 50 different people are feeding paperwork into the lender and sometimes problems created by other people are just going to be blamed on us. Like I've done those two spectrums, drop everything, solve the problem, rewrite the checklist. We're blowing up our whole system and starting over and laissez-faire. I don't care about the client. I don't care about the realtor. I just, I haven't found that happy medium. So maybe as a professional coach and somebody that knows that I'm a little bit of an extreme individual one way or the other, like give me some coaching on solving that problem. Okay. To solve the problem. So I'm going to go a couple different levels here. The level one is right now in the moment with you, it's going to be okay. We are going to solve it. 
patience and grace for yourself, Scott, because everything that you've just said, you've probably done a number of times and you might beat yourself up over it. So condensed coaching, it's going to be okay. Patience and grace for Scott. How might we solve it, right? We don't want to put a Band-Aid on it. We want to preventive maintenance, you know, create some type of thinking or habit or system that might help us to actually solve it so that the chances of this continuing to happen significantly decrease, right? So I might first start with this. You know, I'm looking at a friend of ours uh, that was on the podcast recently. Dane Espagard was talking about knowing the difference between big problems and little problems. So if this is a big problem, like if this is a major, the, the house is going to burn down type problem, then I might go the first route of stop everything, what we're doing, two hour meeting, let's solve this, let's, let's get right into it. If it's one of those big problems, you know, if it's a little problem, then I'm going to feed it into the machine or the system that we've created that empowers us to solve problems. So as a coach, I can tell the client what to do, or I can ask them a question that will lead them to figure it out. So I'm going to go with the second option now and ask you the question. So how might you create a system within your organization that the little problems can be solved by the team? You know, how might you create that system? You know, so that's the first question. And if we're on a coaching call and we've got all this time to do this, we would sit there and go through that question, which we can do right now. Or we can go straight to here's kind of where, where it ends up landing up. With most teams, when I ask them that question, most leaders, where it ends up is, well, Matt, we have a lot of these when challenges happen. I just go straight to the person. We jump into a meeting and we, we try to solve it right away. And, and my response is, I don't want to have my employees see that every time I call on them, it's to come to my office because they screwed up. You know, I would rather have a consistent mechanism by which we can learn together. And that includes going over our wins together. It includes going over our, our challenges together. So what I might advise is that there is a consistent form of some kind that you might get together with said employee or the team, the brain trust, so to speak. And you might have this forum, which is focused on, you know, where are all the strengths and the things that are going well? You know, we had this, this thing happen. What went well there? You know, what actually did go well? And then you're having this problem of getting a one-star rating and everyone screwed up or the client's wrong and all that. Well, now let's look at this from a different perspective of how might we work on a system so that this might not happen again? You know, And it might be setting the expectations up front, preventative maintenance with employees, with clients. It might be looking at what part of the system actually did break down you know, and how might we solve that. But the mechanism by which we solve this together, Scott, is having a consistent call it a meeting, a forum, a recurring something where it's okay to look at all of the strengths of what's happening and it's okay to look at the learning opportunities from what's happening. So what's your consistent forum for doing that? Here's an example. I've got a client right now that they've scaled and they've tripled the size of their business in the last four years. How'd they do that? One of the things that really serve them well is that once a week, they get together as a team for 45 minutes, the three big decision makers of each department, right? They get together and they say, here are all the areas where we showed operational excellence this week. And they look at specific examples of here was where the operational excellence was. Now, show me one area where there was a big challenge this week. Let's look at that one too. And they look at here is where the ball was dropped. And their goal of this meeting is to take Everything that went well, that, that caused the operational excellence to just work, how might we apply that to this situation over here and solve this? So that would be a, an example. And that company has grown significantly because what they learned through this, they learned how to solve the, the problems, right? 
but like giving your dog peanut butter and putting a pill in it. The dog just feels the peanut butter, but they really, they're getting the medicine. What really just happened is, you know, they solved the problem, but they're learning how to do it by looking at the real examples of where their best is being used. So I'm coaching them to use their greatest strengths to solve some of these challenges, right? In a methodical way. Okay, so I know timeout. I went really kind of deep there and, and gave a real condensed version of how that might play out over the course of like an hour long call <laughs> with drawings and, and graphs and some visuals. So what did you hear right there, Scott? Like what really did you take in from that? Yeah. I mean, I, what I heard there was a consistent form to have the conversation versus being reactive in the moment. And that reactivity in the moment might be like, screw it, we're going to do nothing or stop everything. Let's try to solve a problem. And, you know, beans will continue until morale improves. So what I heard was like a consistent form to focus on some positivity, what's working, amplify that, and then close with, hey man, we had this, we had this issue. How might we improve upon that? So like so many things, it's it's better to review after the bullets stop flying. <laughs> yes. So you hit on a couple things there. One is it's not reactive in the moment where the the tension and, and, the, and the tempers are flared and heated. It's a consistent place where we know every single week or every single month or whenever the forum is, we're going to get together and work together on the game, on the business, through our strengths. That's one. Number two is, is as a facilitator and leader, your main role here is to make sure that everyone, when you enroll them in and bring them into this meeting or this forum, that it's safe. It's safe for you to be able to share your thoughts, your feedback. It's a safe place to offer it. Some good books or resources on the subject might be Principles by Ray Dalio, page 334, talking about radical transparency and how it can be for the best of others to be able to give real, direct feedback as long as everyone knows it's a safe place to give that. So that could be something around the radical transparency. Another one might be anything around appreciative inquiry, yeah. you know, which is a community I'm a part of with Exchange and how we work on creating psychologically safe environments. So how are you as leader creating a psychologically safe environment? You know, one of the main things about being so reactive, if we ever get there, and a lot of us are, is that the person that you're reacting to towards the issue, it might be something that you're not in a space where others feel safe even talking about it. I mean, how many times has something gone wrong professionally or even at home in, in a spousal relationship where you want to offer feedback, but you know that right there in the moment when it's heated, it's not the time to offer that feedback to employees, to, to teammates, to bosses, to clients, even to, uh, to spouses or kids. This is, right? the, uh, this is the classic, just tell your wife to calm down. Everything will be fine. You know, your wife's really frustrated. Just say, honey, calm down. Just calm down. Like that, that goes well, right? Right? No? no? That's right. I know that when I screw up on a coaching call, when I screw up with Julie, when I screw up in some way, I know that for me personally, that forum is the same every morning. I call it the miracle morning. And I sit down with the journal every single day and I'm writing down, here are the wins that I had yesterday that, that exemplify my strengths. And here is my opportunity from yesterday where if I could do it again, here's how I might've approached it, right? So I'm practicing this every day on an individual level, which helps me to feel like I'm able to go back and, and do it right this time. 
many times if I'm there in the moment, the fight or flight response is not the same thing as if I go back and think through it and practice it, which kind of goes back to, you know, you're the guy that can make those fast discussions because you're, you're that fast. I've got to go back and role play through it and practice it my own before I feel comfortable bringing it to my team or to the client. Right. So I think that might be something is that consistent form. If it's morning and daily thing or for teams, if it's I know that there is going to be once a week, once a month, something that we're going to look at the biggest challenges that we have to overcome as a team. How might we use our strengths to overcome those? Another good example might be if you ever watched that show Grey's Anatomy, which I've not watched the past 16 seasons, but season one and season one, episode one, there is a part where all of the new doctors are sitting there in the, I want to call it the observatory room, whatever it is, and there's someone down there doing surgery. And they're down there watching the, the, the surgeons have their discussion, do the surgery, and seeing it in real time learning. So that's one example is that you can invite your employees to come and watch how the leaders have discussions if you really want to be transparent. Another way might be if you fast forward in that show, peer review, where the doctors come in and they share their cases, their surgeries, their their cases that they have. They share things that may have gone awry and they are opening up for questions from other people around them of, you know, what would have happened if you would have done it this way? Why didn't you consider this? Would you consider this? And you look at the challenge and everyone has the opportunity to share their responses. Okay. So right now, for those who can't see, because you're listening to this podcast, my three-year-old daughter is going in and out of the back of this. Of the, of the room right now. And it's very adorable. I love it. And <laughs> five years ago, I would have, I'm ashamed to say, I would have muted and there would have been some loud, very forceful sounds that would have come out of my right. mouth toward my children. And one way that I was able to work on this challenge was I was able to write down every morning in my Miracle Morning Journal if I were to be the ideal parent in a situation of stress like that, how might I show up? And I asked that question, I wrote it down every day for a long time. That's how I worked on my game. You know. And if you look at being a leader and all the stuff's hitting the fan, there's a negative review and a client's wrong, one thing a leader might do is they might go and journal themselves, when this situation happens again, how might the ideal leader show up? Right. Anyways, I think I've gone a lot of different angles here. You ask a coaching question. I don't even know where I'm at right now. No. I'm kind of going off in different you know places. Beautiful, Matt. Two things. One, you answered my coaching question. So thank you. And two, I was just thinking about, because I've also gone through the appreciative inquiry training. And so as soon as you said that, my mind started going other places. Hey, what was something I was doing when things were going really well? When I was kind of growing my business exponentially, I was motivated about making the calls. And this is going to sound like the stupidest thing to somebody who's very technologically savvy. I like paper. Like I'm I'm old school, whatever. I draw little post-it notes. I have my, you know, connection tracker for my daily calls. I like paper. And I have this belief, and I, I don't think it's just a story that I'm telling myself. I think it's the truth that my industry has gotten significantly more error prone as we've gone to a hundred percent digital. So back in the good old days, when a realtor had to sit down with a client and go over the contract physically, they inherently explained a lot more. Now it's just all DocuSign and digital, click, 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 click. The realtor doesn't explain anything. And so then what ends up happening is I get a level of frustration where I'm like, oh, great. Well, now it's on the lender to explain all this stuff that the realtor used to explain. 
Same thing in the mortgage business. I think we miss a lot because instead of having paper where you look at the bank statement and you're like, oh, here's some deposits I'm concerned about. Oh, what's this? There's another mortgage payment we didn't know about. It's just all digital. And it's like upload, stream, blah, 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 blah. No one's actually slowing down and doing the deeper work in order to find the problems up front. So I was just thinking about, hey, what's something I was doing when I was doing well and what's something I can get back to? And I just realized for years, for years, I use this tool called a Panda Planner that's just simply write down your day. It's got a little bit of that Miracle Morning Journal you know, enca- encapsulated into it. Keep track of the things you're working on and the problems you want to solve and the things that went well. Show a little bit of gratitude every day. And when I got to this like coaching program that I went to where I went through like using a digital calendar and really having everything on your calendar, it's been great in a lot of ways for our team so that everybody can kind of see the calendar. But I think what I've gotten away from is that little little daily paper check-in of like, what's on Scott's list? What are we improving today? What systems are we working on? Who are the key people that need a phone call back? What does my calendar look like? Oh man, when I write down my calendar, I'm a little overbooked today or maybe I'm double booked. So as you were talking, I just went to Amazon and reordered a couple of panda planners because I'm going to get back to that starting Monday. They're due, they'll be d- delivered tomorrow. The power of Prime, that's something we can be grateful for. And I'm going to get back to using that panda planner going forward because I think that was a big, big saving grace for like my psyche, the things I want to work on, the things that I want to improve is like writing down that journal every day. So thank you, Matt. I appreciate you. Well, you were welcome. Please state the question one more time you started with. It was what we might call an appreciative inquiry in the exchange approach, a high point question, question designed to bring out your strengths in a specific situation. What was the question that you started with again, Scott? The question I started with is this idea of swinging the pendulum too far to the left or right of like, you know, how do I, how do I land in the center where I just don't totally ignore the problem, but I don't have this reactive stop everything and burn it all down and rebuild. It's like, no, how do I take a more measured approach to things? And I think for me, it's like getting those ideas out on paper is, is probably a bigger deal that I've been willing to admit the last couple of years. So the high point question might be when you've been at your best as a leader or as a producer in this business, one of the things that you noticed was, and then you, you noticed that you're using yeah. paper as opposed to all digital, yeah. you know, and you bring something interesting here that what we gain by being all digital might feel like efficiency. For example, what we sacrifice for this efficiency might be that people connection, or it might be the ability to, as you say, because I'm, I'm like you, I'm old school. I have a to-do list to write down three things every day and I've already gotten the top three things done. You know, and I, I look at that and what I am gaining by still writing down on paper is I'm gaining the ability to do this with multiple senses. I'm writing it, I'm reading it, I'm seeing it, I'm feeling it, as opposed to when I'm on the computer, I'm not writing it, you know, and I'm not feeling it. You know, I'm simply seeing it and reading it. So it's two senses versus four senses. So there are more ways to connect with it when you are doing it the old school way for all of us purists out there. So we have talked many things about many different types of challenges and how we might overcome those. We started by talking about uh, you and the challenge sometimes with direction and staying focused on it. And that's led us down a path where we've covered at least five, five things 
so far where we've overcome challenges. I'd love to go back to, you know, what's a real world challenge, Scott, that you might be facing right now that we can kind of lean into and, and see, you know, someone successful like you has challenges too. What might be one of those challenges that you're seeing right now for you? Yeah, man, this is this is interesting. And I've, I think for a lot of people watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, it's likely that you have more challenges of abundance than you do of scarcity, right? If you're blessed enough to have internet, to have a smartphone, to I'm guessing a vast majority of your audience live in America, I still think this is the greatest place to have growth opportunity in the world. I still, I'm a fundamentalist. Like I believe in Western civilization and like kind of an American greatness. And I don't really care if that sounds pompous, but you know, we probably have more problems of abundance than we do of scarcity. And, and a simple metric to look at this by, you know, for the first time in the history of the human race, we have more problems with obesity than we do starvation. There, there's more, there's more obese people in the world than there are people that are starving. And, and think of what a drastic change that is in the last 40 years, because I remember, you know, a, as a child seeing those advertisements on, you know, network TV of like, for a dollar a day, you can feed blah, 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 blah in pick the country, sub-Saharan Africa or whatnot. And I'm not saying that there's still not humans that are that go to bed hungry. And I'm still not saying that there's places in the world that need help and they need development and they need charity. I'm not saying everything's great. But I'm just saying, for the first time in the history of the world, more people are fat than there are people that are starving. And that's just shows that's a little that's a little example, a microcosm of the fact that like most human beings now have problems of abundance versus problems of scarcity. You know, do I get on a podcast with Matt? Do I, do I work with my awesome right-hand lady to try to grow our coaching business? Do I buckle down because the economy is going through some states of flux and make conversations to my key mortgage referral partners? And I think what happens for a lot of us, and I can at least speak for myself, is that when there is an abundance of opportunity or an abundance of things we could work on, Sometimes we get analysis paralysis and we don't work on any of it, you know, and then social media is the perfect drug to just be like, I need a distraction because I've got analysis paralysis. There's too many good things I could be doing. Let me just scroll through Instagram for 10 minutes and waste 10 minutes of my life. So a book that came up recently for me is the book Indistractable. I need to reread it. I've already read it three times in the last year because the author's name is Nir Ayal, and I hope I'm getting his name right, N-I-R, Nir Ayal, E-Y-A-L. The book is called Indistractable. And, and his thesis is that information has basically been democratized thanks to the internet and specifically Google. Like there's pretty much nothing you can't learn for free. So the real challenge will be in the future being indistractable and the real value of a human, an employee, a friend, a parent will be, can you do what he calls the deep work and actually focus on something for more than 10 seconds? So I think understanding we've had this path in Western civilization where now like it's really a problem of abundance, not a problem of scarcity that has led to an abundance of stuff that we can do that has led to us being easily distractible and now putting in the hard work to become indistractable. I think that's going to be the new dare program. When we were kids in the eighties, I think you and I are about the same age. It was like dare to say no to drugs. You know, everybody was finally admitting that cigarettes were bad for you. I almost said cigars Freudian slip because I smoke a lot of cigars, but 
you know, the eighties was like this, this moment in kind of Western civilization where it's like, Hey, we know the things that are bad for you. We got to focus on like maybe saying no to drugs and, and, and vilifying cigarettes appropriately. So, cause they cause cancer. I think in the near future, maybe it'll be the mid to late 2020s. Maybe it'll be in the 2030s. It'll be like, Hey guys, We've got a problem. We have, we, and it's a weird problem to say out loud. It's a problem of abundance. It's a problem of having so many toys and widgets and streaming services and social media platform. Like we have a, we have a problem of concentration and, and we need to like dive into what this guy near is saying about the power of being indestructible. So I think that's probably the thing that's showing up for me most right now on another problem that I'm trying to overcome is like, you know, how do, how do you stay indestructible? Well, that's a good question, a good place to put a bookmark in here. How do we stay indistractable? And that might make for another episode, how we, how we might stay in, indistractable as a superpower. Scott, you have been uh, a joy to listen to this entire time. I love your energy. I love the speed at which you process and talk, and, and I'm a big fan. So <laughs> if there are other fans out there, and I'm sure there will be, how would we find out more about you, what you're doing, and, and, and connect with you? Yeah, the easiest way is just Facebook. So I think all the places I'm Scott Grove squad or I'm Scott Grove, something like that, just whatever. Facebook, find me Scott Groves. I'm the one in California, Nevada, not the guy who's the motivational speaker in Australia. As you can tell, I have no Australian accent. And then the podcast that I do is on the edge podcast that might get rebranded at some point in the future, but you'll be able to find it on the edge podcast with Scott Groves and anybody who's actually watching this and has anything they want to talk about. I just nerd out over this stuff. I can't say no to a good conversation. Again, problems of abundance. So just email me at Scott at Scott Grove's team and you'll you'll find me there. Awesome. Well, well thank you for uh, being very abundant in, in sharing a lot of you today. We much appreciate that and love you. And you know, thanks so much, Scott. Make it a great day, brother. Thanks, man. I appreciate you, Matt. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.